Recently, Lingo Dean and Riandon Kennedy sat down with Sandia National Lab's own Logan Carpenter for an in-depth conversation. Topics range from Carpenter's background, HBCU coverage of cybersecurity education, Sandia National Lab's pipeline for HBCU students to gain valuable training and careers, and much more. Stay tuned for CCG Digital presentation of A Conversation with Logan Carpenter, featuring Lingo Dean and Rayondon Kennedy. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, Friday, August 16th, uh, 2019 today, and uh, we're looking at cybersecurity. Today's topic, we're looking at cybersecurity education at historically black colleges and universities and how the uh, Department of Energy's Sandia uh, lab set up a pipeline for HBCU students to get training and um, enter careers in cybersecurity at Department of Energy uh, National Labs. Um, we're gonna be talking to Logan, Logan Carpenter, He's a Norfolk State University grad, and he got a job through this talent pipeline, as uh, we've been told. And Logan works at Sandia, where he researches ways to improve cybersecurity for critical infrastructure, such as airports, hospitals, and power grids. Um, we're going to get Logan to tell us a little bit more about himself, and then we're going to ask him some more questions. Uh, Ray Kennedy and I, and then we're going to get some more information on cybersecurity education at HBCUs. Logan, if you'd like to uh, introduce yourself and tell us how you got into cybersecurity. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm Logan Carpenter, um, uh, originally from a small county in a small rural county in Virginia called Madison County. Um, uh, I did my undergrad at Norfolk State in computer science. Um, interned out here at San Diego National Labs through some connections I had uh, with a few professors at Norfolk State. Um, in the year 2016, the summer of 2016, I was here. Um, I've spent every summer since then here at San Diego National Labs, um, worked with a couple different groups, um, got the opportunity um, from San Diego to actually go ahead and get my master's, so they paid me to go get my master's. I got my master's at Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and I recently graduated back in December, and I've been back here full-time since December. Uh, so, yeah, my range of work is mainly focused on industrial control systems, um, Internet of Things, SCADA systems, you know, critical infrastructure, everything in that kind of field, um, but my expertise is pretty broad. Uh, I've done a lot of different projects since I've been here. Just right now, that's where my focus has been in. Well, thank you for that, Logan. Um, you talked about the relationships that um, you had with your professors back at the NSU and how that helped you, put you in position for an internship um, in the cybersecurity field. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? How do professors encourage you what do they tell you about what what do they tell you about cybersecurity at NSU and and how did it all work out so the story that that, that story is actually kind of interesting um, I haven't talked about it that much um, so actually 
when I was at Norfolk State, um, I had a professor, I had a class project, and one of my professors really, uh, I did really, really well on it. And um, I had some really bad partners, and my partners actually came out and said that, like, yeah, we kind of underperformed, and, you know, he really saved us. And she was very impressed because I was kind of a quiet student, and she was like, you know, just keep working and, and talk to me next year, and we're going to try to get you some opportunities. Fast forward a year later, I got an, uh, I had to, uh, I forgot what the name of it, but it's when you pretty much have a job at the school, just like a little small part-time job at the school. And I had landed a job sitting at the front desk as a receptionist in the computer science department. And one day, one of my professors, Dr. Graham, walks in and actually asks me to help him move some laptops um, to another building. And through that process, we kind of talked a little bit and he kind of seen, you know, just I guess the potential that I had and, and kind of got a feel for who I was and actually was like, well, look, we have some money that we just recently got and I want you to apply for these different scholarships and, uh, um, and I want you to do some, just some research for me, you know, and, and from there, um, that's where I started building that connection with him, um, and, and kind of how I ended up here, um, because of the relationship that, Norfolk State had with the national laboratories. Um, so that's how that uh, connection kind of was birthed. That's wonderful. So you're one of the first students that came to the National Lab under that particular program because I take it um, Norfolk State already had a good relationship with the national labs um, that, that predate your time. But are you one of the first students under the program that you came in on, the scholarship that you applied for? Yeah, I'm one of the one of the early students. I think there were a small group of students that came before me. Um, I'm the second student from Norfolk State to actually land a job here. Um, and I came with a group of two other interns that came here the same year I did. I think it was like a few others that came here before me. Um, but yeah, I was one of the early, um, I guess, students in that program because uh, the money that funded the C-Corps program um, actually came like a year, a year and a half before I actually came to Sandia. Okay. So what was that process like applying for, I, of course, you have the support of your professors, which is a great, is a big deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting that kind of introduction and that kind of encouragement and motivation at that level. Is, and support is, is, is you know, it, it's not that it's not available to every student, but sometimes students miss that opportunity, you know, for, for any number of reasons. But but you were able to get that. So once you were in that on that road, on that track, what happened next? I mean, applying for the scholarship and then getting to uh, to Sandia. What can you sort of t walk us through that? And how did it all happen? <clears throat> So pretty much what happened was uh, when I met Dr. Graham and he kind of showed me his facility that he had, um, I actually willingly decided to go over and I did free research from him. So I just went over there and after classes, I, after I did my class and homework, I would go to his lab and just do little projects and stuff like that, do some research for him um, and whatever he had, just even sometimes just like, hey, I have all of this stuff written on this whiteboard. Can you put it in? an Excel file, just kind of like, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Then he ended up saying, he was like, look, um, I know you applied to some internships 
on your own, but um, I really want you to go to one of these national labs because um, I feel like it'll really fit you. And it was two national labs. It was Sandia National Labs and Lawrence Livermore National Labs. And um, the funny thing is I applied. I had went through the interview process, um, and I got the phone call back, and Sandia actually turned me down and took two other <laughs> students. And I was actually kind of upset about it because they took two other students over me, and I was like, like uh, I feel like I can uh, outcompete these students that right. they selected. So I was like, well, at least I can go to Lawrence Livermore, so it's not too bad. And um, like a week later, I get a call back from the people that interviewed me. It was like, hey, we found some extra money. <clears throat> we really, really wanted to bring you in. So they ended up bringing me in. And um, from my performance that summer, <clears throat> the people here had such um, good things to say about me back to my professors at Norfolk State. I ended up uh, getting an assistantship. Um, and I ended up landing a scholarship, too, um, uh, through that that money that uh, Joe Biden had actually given to uh, Norfolk State, well, to the different HBCUs to start the program. Um, so I ended up getting, you know, everything kind of opened up from there, from that one internship. Um, I got the opportunity, I performed well, and, you know, the doors just kind of opened up from there. Wonderful. So, like you said, you, you the opportunity came, you performed well, and doors opened up from there. And then you were off to, was it George Mason, you said, to do uh, a master's program, if I'm not, if I'm so, right? So before I left Sandia that first summer, um, I had four interviews with different groups here for a program here known as the Master's Fellowship Program, which mm -hmm. is essentially the Sandia pays you to go to school. So they pay your tuition, they pay you a salary, and you just, all you're worried about, you just go to school and that's all your, your job is, is to just graduate. Um, so I ended up getting that towards the end of my senior year and I uh, took the job. So the following fall, so I came back to San Diego that summer. The following fall after that summer, I was at uh, Georgia Institute of Technology, so Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, Georgia Tech, okay. Yeah, Georgia right. Tech. Right. Right. Why do you think that it's so important for Sandia to get um, new grads, new people with, um, you know, you, you just graduated with your bachelor's degree when, was it 2016? 17. 17. And, and you have your master's now, right? Your master's degree in computer science? Yep. Okay. Yep. Why do you think that this is all under the program? Why do you think it's so important for, um, in this program to have people with master's uh, degree qualifications? Well, the scope of work that Sandia does um, is a lot different <clears throat> from a lot of other industries. Um, in other industries, you can get away without having a master's if you're, you know, in computer science and you're going to work for like, you know, a company like Pinterest or even a Facebook or Google. Um, but the work we do here is very bleeding edge and research-based. And if you don't have that research background or um, that, that grad school gives you or you haven't been a part of like, uh, you know, if you don't have that, you know, grasp on the, 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 new, mo the newest, most innovative, most like bleeding edge technology, um, you kind of struggle. You'll struggle if you don't know how to do research because, you know, 90% of the work, if not, you know, 100 here 
is strictly research. We don't do a lot of production and support and stuff here. Um, so having that master's degree uh, allows you to get that research experience because a lot of the master's courses require you to write, read research papers. And um, even when I was at Georgia Tech, I, I did you know a lot of research um, just as classes. I had classes that were just me with a professor and I had research projects to do. So that's why the master's degree is important. If you're going into an industry where you need to be doing research a lot, um, grad school really helps with that because you know that's majority of the reason people go to grad school unless they feel like they're not prepared for industry yet. That's wonderful. So do you see yourself staying in research? Um, it, it, it kind of a lot of people that I've talked to who who've gone on to do, uh, you probably end up doing a PhD, I, I don't know, but I mean, once you start that down that road, that research road, that's kind of like the end game. Um, do you see yourself staying in research or do you think you're gonna be a production um, computer scientist slash engineer? So um, I do think at some point, um, you know, I could potentially move into, you know, the production kind of area, but research right now is more rewarding to me um, because, you know, especially with the work we do here, it's not about, you know, somebody's bottom line. We're here to innovate. We're here to push the industry forward. We're here to, you know, protect national security and, you know, like, the work here is a lot more rewarding. So if you would ask me, me today, yes, I would um, stay in, you know, this field of research um, and development because it's just rewarding to me and um, it's fulfilling. It, it, those are two big words and they're kind of old fashioned words, rewarding and fulfilling. Did you have that at the back of your mind going into the program? Did you know that this was going to be the outcome that, I mean, it's, it's hard to know when you start something. Sometimes, you know, you know, like yeah. you embark on something or you take something up and you know what the, you know, you know the kind of reward you're going to get at the end. But sometimes you don't know. Did you know going in that you're going to feel this way like you do now, rewarded and fulfilling and, and excited and motivated about what you do? on a personal level as within the organization and as for the national outlook for the country as well. Yeah. So I didn't initially, you know, I guess the answer would be no. Initially that wasn't, you know, something that I've always thought about. I think the summer I spent out here and I seen the culture out here and, and met a lot of the staff and kind of seen like the type of work that we actually do here um, and that's where I kind of was like you know this is bigger than just you know money you know this the work that we do is, is you start hearing some of the success stories of the labs and you see how if some of these accomplishments never happen then you know we America wouldn't be such a great country that it is so um, yeah stuff yeah. like that you know that's when I realized that when I finally got out here and kind of picked up the culture around here and, and you know heard the success stories and seen the research that was being done I was like you know this is really cool and it feels good. yeah yeah I like that comment you made about picking up the culture because I mean moving from 
um, was it North, uh, Northern Virginia or? Yeah, it's a, it's a small rural county about an hour and 15 minutes south of Washington, D.C. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So moving yeah. from there, from an HBCU to Albuquerque, New Mexico, definitely was um, a little bit of a culture shock. You're listening to a conversation with Logan Carpenter, featuring Lango Dean and Rayondin Kennedy, presented by CCG Digital. I know, I know. I lived in Woodbridge for years, and I, I've never been to New Mexico, but I don't imagine it's the same kind of culture at all. So. Yeah, it looks different. The people look different. The people are different. The culture is completely different. I mean, right. well, I, tell, I used to tell people when I came here, I felt like I was in another country. <laughs> well, how did you settle in? I mean, what, what, did you, what did you do? So here they have a committee called BLC at Sandia, which is the Black Leadership Committee, and um, meeting those people here, they made me feel more comfortable um, because a lot of those guys came from HBCUs as well, and they created like a little community. And like you know, my time here, to be honest, some of the people, some of my best closest friends were people that I met, you know, here on internships and and kind of uh, came through the, the, this whole ecosystem with so they do a really good job of kind of like um accepting people into the community and like really reaching out and like hey like you know we you can you can you know be from somewhere completely different and still call this place home that's wonderful well um bea um, um the uh um black engineer magazine's conference annual conference which it turns 35 next year has seen a stream of award winners from Sandia over the years. And we've written about so many of them. And you probably have met some of them um, during yeah. your tenure. And you probably heard of others as well who received awards. So I'm sure in time that you'll probably be up on stage receiving an award. Um, at this point, I'll let Bray take over and ask you uh, uh, any questions that he has. And I might come back in later on with one last question. Thank you so much, Logan. Cool. No problem, no problem. Logan, so you know I like to do my homework. And so when I was prepping for this, I found out that, you know, in high school you were a chicken farmer. Um, my question to you is, how does a chicken farmer from Madison County, Virginia, develop an interest in cybersecurity? So I was always kind of a, this is actually a, a kind of a funny story. I was always, as a kid, like really into science just in general. Um, like I was, I used to always watch Discovery Channel, Science Channel. My favorite show was Mythbusters when I was a kid. Like I was really into that kind of stuff. Um, and I used to always think I wanted to be like an aerospace engineer. Uh, and um, what I ended up learning was, you know, as a kid, you <laughs> what you plan to be is not always what's meant for you. And uh, I learned quickly in high school that, you know, I was like, I was a good math student good math student but I wasn't a great math student I was like a B plus math student when you know to be an aerospace engineer you need to be like an A plus math student so it's like you know I knew I was going to you know have to find something that fits me a lot better and my uncle at the time worked for a particular agency within the government he was saying like kind of like yeah you know cybersecurity. I've heard lots of things about it and it seems like it's, you should check it out so I started looking into it and, and 
I was always kind of fascinated with computers and stuff like that. So um, I just decided to jump into it straight out of high school. Um, and, you know, growing up in, in rural America, you know, the number of jobs you have is kind of like already set for you. Um, and you really can't avoid, if you want to make money, you can't really avoid manual labor. So um, I used to be a farmer for a few different farms and um, I was a farmhand and then I went and meet another farmhand from this farmhand and then I ended up at a chicken farm. So at the time, actually, I was working on one chicken farm and three other farms at, at once. Um, I was also a painter. I was also a landscaper. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I, I went to college and every summer I would come back, I would go back to those same jobs um, up until um I got my my shot to come here, and uh, and I, after that summer, I never had the farm again. <laughs> it, it sounds like you're no stranger to hard work. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, it's interesting about the conversations you had with your with your uncle, who kind of directed you towards cybersecurity. You know, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of uh, unfulfilled jobs in our country uh, uh, that are cybersecurity related. In your words, why is cybersecurity national security? Because the society we live in um, hates change, right? And, you know, that's just how people are. People don't like change. And I think what has happened is the rate of change um, that, you know, computer systems have caused has outgrown the rate of change that people are comfortable with even normally. So now you have yourself in a position where the technology is moving forward faster than the people are accepting it, right? And now, you know, like our power, like no 50, even 20 years ago, nobody would ever have thought like, you know, our power grid would be vulnerable to attacks, right? But let's say there's a conflict with another country and this country has exploits that can just take down um, a specific part of our power grid, well, then that's an advantage. So that's national security. If I can shut your systems down, if I can attack, you know, a nuclear power plant and make your reactor explode, that is a national security incident, right? So that's why cybersecurity is, is national security because um, every part of our government from the files that sit on the computers in, in the on the business side um, to, you know, the systems that open and close doors on military bases um, are all connected, you know, together in, um, in the cyberspace. So that's why cybersecurity is national security. That was, a, that was a great answer, Logan. What's your favorite part about being in cybersecurity? The work is never done. You know, like like fields like, um, let's say, chemical, chemical engineering or like, you know, the petroleum industry, you know, most of that work has been done. You know, it's like, it's not going to change too much more, you know. Um, but in cybersecurity, you know, there's an exploit today, I patch it, and then tomorrow there's a new one. So you, you, you're constantly learning. Um, the adversaries are getting a lot more smart, a lot more creative. And, you know, we have to try to think ahead of them and, 
and, and make our systems better as we develop them. So the work is never done, and that's what keeps you keeps you going. It's just like you come into work. It's like, well, we have this problem, so how do we fix it? And answering those hard problems is what makes you know this job so much fun. Logan, I got I got one more question for you, and I'm, I'm gonna need you to take a take a journey with me, sort of. Um, so right now you're going back to your high school. It's a career day, and they've invited you back to kind of come and talk to the students. What's your sales pitch right now to a young person at your high school who might be considering uh, to pursue a, a degree in cybersecurity? Well, I think uh, in high school, um, especially where I grew up, you know, cybersecurity changed my life. You know, like, I grew up, I, my family didn't have a lot of money. You know, people where I'm from don't leave, you know, very often. You know, you can go in my ho my hometown and, and track back three, four generations. Um, and cybersecurity opens up a door where it's it's learnable. You don't really need, you know, formal education to get a head start, you know, in this field. So the internet has so much information and it's all there. And if you learn it, you know, it can literally completely change your life. You know, I've, you know, I've been to Brazil, you know, I've been places that as a kid, I never even thought of going. Um, and, you know, just the work is so rewarding and you can really be impactful, really impact, you know, there's research that you can do that can live past your life, right? So um, just how much it can change your life, especially if you're coming from a place where there's not much opportunity, cybersecurity, if you, if you get into that, you can write your own ticket. You know, when I graduated, I, it's not like this is the only job offer I had. This is just the best one that, you know, I've seen of all the ones that I had. I could have lived in California. I could have lived in Texas. I could have lived in DC or state of Virginia, could have moved to Atlanta. It's like, it, you wherever you want to go, there's a job for you, and whatever you want to do, there's a job for you, um, and that's why I picked where I'm at now because I can literally do whatever I want. If there's if my interests change tomorrow, I can tell my manager, hey, I want to drop this project, and this is the career path I want to go down, and it'll be perfectly fine. So just the opportunity is is undeniable. Um, so I think that would be a big sales pitch to those guys because. When you're young, all you want to do is just kind of like venture out and get out and grow. And cybersecurity will allow you to do that, you know. That's an excellent answer, Logan. Uh, that's all I have for you. Um, Lango, do you have anything to close it out? Um, my last question is, Logan, well, you know that October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And I was wondering, I mean, I know you're right up there, right at sort of, you have a, 30,000 foot view of cybersecurity and what would you say to young people to um, ordinary people about cybersecurity what do you think we should know um i think if you want to have peace of mind um you know 15 years from now um you everyone should know the basics of cybersecurity and secure computing practices um you know 
something very fundamental in the realm of cybersecurity is that the only way you can truly secure a system is if you take that, that system, turn the power off, disconnect it from the wall, and lock it in a room where people can't touch it. Because once people start interacting with the systems, people are usually the single point of failure. Most cyber attacks aren't some hacker just sitting inside of a, a room, just you know finding vulnerabilities and beating a computer to death. Usually it's a situation where they send somebody who doesn't know much about cybersecurity an email that that goes right up their alley and they click a link or open up a file and they just expose their entire company to a cyber attack. Um, so I think understanding, having cyber awareness is the most important thing if they want to have peace of mind um, for you know the next 10, 20 years because there's going to come a point where a job requirement is going to be, you're going to have to have some kind of cybersecurity training um, at some point because it, it, the, the people aspect of it is getting so difficult to deal with that, you know, they're going to have to start training people to understand like, hey, these are the do's and don'ts of cybersecurity and you should understand it if you're going to, even if you're, you work an office job where you just put stuff in Excel, right? Or you just check your emails and, and, and you work in procurement or something like that. Like you're still going to have to know these things. So I think, um, Developing an understanding, just a basic understanding of the do's and don'ts um, of cybersecurity uh, is something that I think all people would benefit from uh, now and for the foreseeable future. Hmm. Wow, that's great. And there's so many do's and don'ts. Uh, can you give us like maybe one or two, um, one thing to do and one thing not to do? So just some very simple elementary level stuff is like, for instance, emails are usually the the the, the big one. Um, when you get an email, make sure you look at the URL, which is the link. Um, a lot of the times what attackers will do, they will set up their own domain name. So you'll, you'll read it into your eyes. Your brain will fool you into thinking it says Google.com, but it may be G-O- GLLE.com instead. Um, so keep an eye out for suspicious uh, email names. So like like that weird Google.com is one thing. Um, if you ever get an email from somewhere that is kind of is random, I wouldn't advise opening any files because what we can do, um, there's actually a big story about a CEO who thought he was so smart and they actually found out you know, his um, his child had cancer and um, had overcame cancer. And he, so they found this information out. And what they did, they crafted an email for like some non-profit organization that fights that specific type of cancer that his child overcame. And they made an email, directed it towards him. And it was something that they said was going on in his local city and to register for it, open up this email and do it. And what they did was they embedded a macro inside of a PDF, which mm. is like a little executable and you open it and your system just executes the code and bam, I have a back door to your system. I can look through all your files and do whatever I want, whenever I want. Or I can turn your computer into a zombie and use it to attack somebody else. So mm. that that's something as small as opening up a file could completely expose you to a cyber attack. And uh, those are a lot of like, user and stuff. Don't plug USBs that you don't know where they came from in because um, I can 
format a USB to operate as a disk, and when you plug it in, it'll think it's a disk, so it'll act like a, what, it does, what disks do, they just start reading. So it'll start reading whatever's on the USB and um, start executing whatever, whatever's on there, and boom, I just um, gave you a USB with malware on it. So uh, stuff like uh, that. Wow. Thank Not you giving so away much. passwords, <laughs> you know, just simple yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always told that, and people still do it somehow. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, thank you so very much, Logan. It's been, uh, you know, it's been really great talking to you. Wish you all the very best in your career, and um, hope to uh, either uh, see you on the Bay stage in, in a few years or um, write about you again in the magazine soon. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to A Conversation with Logan Carpenter, featuring Lango Dean and Rayondin Kennedy, presented by CCG Digital.